All right, so uh, we didn't erase this from last time. It's been two weeks, and this didn't get erased, so pretty cool. <laughs> so um, we talked through this last week about the, or last time, about the three aspects of the Abrahamic covenant, descendants, land, and blessing, and uh, the benefactors of each, how the descendants, the benefactor was really Abram himself, that he would have a progeny, that he would have generations to come after him, lots and lots of people. The land was given to his descendants. In fact, if you remember, God said specifically, you are not going to enjoy the land, but your descendants will, okay? But the blessing expanded to the whole world, that anybody who blesses Abram will be blessed, and anyone who curses him will be cursed. And uh, it expanded beyond just Abram and Israel, but to all international believers are able to share in the blessing. And there are a few details here about each one, you know, that the descendants, God promised, I'm going to make you a great nation. They'll be as the stars and as the sand of the seashore. You'll be exceedingly fruitful. I will greatly multiply you. Um, Land, it was a specific land. That's also important. We're not talking about just generally, uh, like in sports, they'll make a trade with a player to be named later. It wasn't like God gave him land to be named later. No, he gave, named the land from the very beginning as the land of Canaan, and he described its boundaries. And it's a forever possession. That's really important. Genesis 13 talked about this belongs to your descendants forever. With detailed boundaries, unconditionally. And we saw a little bit, and we'll see it again this week, in Deuteronomy, there's a, a return that Israel will have to this land in the latter days. That they'll be judged and scattered, the text says, but then in the latter days, they'll come back and they will enjoy blessing in that land. Uh, the blessing aspect, it's a blessing directly from God, but those who were going to uh, enjoy the blessing from God had to believe in Abraham's God. Okay? So there, there was not just this idea of, hey, be a nice guy to Abraham, and then God's going, going to bless you. You can still be a pagan and worship demons, that's fine. No, no, no. There was a, a recognition of Abraham's God and, and seeking to bless Abraham because of faith in Abraham's God. And um, this, is, of course, is ultimately actualized through Jesus Christ in the new covenant, and we'll talk about that more in the weeks to come, okay? So that's what we talked about last time. If you can think back that far, two weeks. It seems like it's been more than two weeks, doesn't it? That's crazy how that happened. But uh, today, what I want us to do is walk through the Abrahamic covenant in progressive revelation, okay? So God gives revelation progressively in history, and uh, I want us to trace that covenant through progressive revelation. Now, as you can imagine, such a momentous covenant was referred to again and again in Scripture, and uh, Abraham himself is mentioned by name in Scripture, uh, well over a hundred times in the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible. Uh, of course, Abraham's mentioned the most there. But a few other stats that I thought you might find interesting. Abraham is mentioned four times in the Psalms. You almost would think it'd be more, wouldn't you? And three of those times were in Psalm 105. So three times in one of the Psalms and only one time outside of that. Abram is mentioned by name six times in the major prophets. Four of those were in Isaiah. So outside of Isaiah, only twice in the major prophets. Abraham's only mentioned one time in the minor prophets. It was Micah. Micah is the only of the 12 minor prophets to mention Abraham. 
But then you get to the New Testament, and Abraham is mentioned 70 times by name in the New Testament, which is just kind of interesting, okay? But the aspects of the covenant, not just Abraham's name, but the aspects of the covenant, descendants, land, blessing, that's, of course, referred to much more throughout all of Scripture, okay? And the, those stats I, were giving, I was giving you is just for Abraham's name. Now, as we uh, endeavor to do this, looking at these aspects being mentioned through progressive revelation, remember that when we read the Old Testament, we are joining Israel in progress, okay? We, uh, we're joining them in existence as a nation, God's nation, in an old covenant. And this is before Jesus came, when we go to the Old Testament, okay? You know this, but just reminding you, we're, we're going to the time before Jesus came and Israel is in progress. Jesus is the catalyst of blessing to the world, as mentioned here. This blessing was ultimately actualized through Christ in the new covenant when Christ initiated the new covenant or inaugurated the new covenant with his blood. So therefore, when we read through the Old Testament, what do you expect to see more of or less of regarding these three aspects being spoken of throughout the Old Testament? What, what should you expect to see? More about what and less about what? In the Old Testament, you actually have way less about Christ's ministry than you do about descendants and land, okay? You guys have read through Joshua and Deuteronomy and books like that, and there's a lot of talk about land, and there's a lot of talk about the nation, Israel, okay? Now, when we get to the New Testament, we're joining the church in progress, what do you expect to hear more of regarding these things as we're talking about the church? Or, Yeah, yeah, you hear way more about this than you do about these things. Now, you do get both in both Testaments, but the emphasis is clearly different. Okay? You're reading through the Old Testament, and, and there's a much bigger emphasis on the land and that aspect of the covenant than there is, of course, on the blessing that's actualized in Christ, because Christ had not yet come and inaugurated that new covenant and started building his church, okay? But what we're about to see as we go through the Bible tonight is that the elements of God's covenant to Abraham were maintained throughout progressive revelation. So even though the emphasis may be different in each testament, the elements are all maintained. Remember when we were talking about progressive revelation several weeks ago, there's that puzzle analogy. I even had the images on the screen. You remember the puzzle uh, illustration we talked about, where new revelation comes alongside and helps fill out the picture. New revelation does not uh, come along and reveal hidden meanings, okay? The meanings are there. God gives revelation. He communicates clearly, okay? God, when He communicates, He's got one way of communicating. He communicates clearly. And, and that's not to say there aren't types and shadows that get revealed over time. That happens. But words mean things, and so when new revelation comes along, it's not bringing a new dictionary and saying, actually, those words mean other things. It's like, nope, God's clear communication comes alongside pre-existing communication and fills out the picture. That's what's going on. Now, this is different. Uh, th what I just explained is a different way of viewing it than what some more Reformed uh, people would say. There's a Reformed scholar named Scobie. I don't know his first name. His last name almost looks like Scooby, so that's fun. But his last name is Scobie. And listen to what he says. He says, quote, Later revelation can add to and modify what was revealed in the earlier stages. Now, it's almost a great quote. 
Because later revelation can obviously add to what was revealed before, but he adds, and modify. Can later revelation modify what was revealed in earlier stages? No, no, you can't. Uh, to do that is to tamper with the Word of God, in my opinion. G.K. Beale, he's another scholar. He's more popular than Mr. Scooby. But uh, G.K. Beale said this. I just am kind of astounded that he just says this. Quote, Perhaps one of the most striking features of Jesus' kingdom is that it appears not to be the kind of kingdom prophesied in the Old Testament. Because he's a, a G.K. Beale, I think he's amillennial, and he says, we're in, this is it, this is the kingdom, this is it. And he says, one of the most striking features of this kingdom that we're in right now is that it appears to be nothing like the one that was prophesied about. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Yo, you just said the problem, dude, what? I mean, that just it blows my mind that they can say that and read their own words and say, yeah, that's what I believe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. This uh, kingdom is, is lacking here. So, so what we're doing as we're tracing these promises through progressive revelation is like we're following a prince in the snow or, or whatever. Uh, Logan's real good at seeing prince in the snow. We get deer prints on the side of the hill, and Logan sees those whenever we've got deer that come across. Even when there's not snow, that's right. But, but if we see um, deer prints, say three, three deer had, had walked across the snow, and we're following the prints, and we get to the end, what do we expect to find? <laughs> not a bear, <laughs> okay? Not, uh, you know, not a big pickup truck, Okay? We expect to find a deer. We're following these tracks, and we expect not to see a fish, but, you know, whatever the tracks were made by. And this is actually quite critical because the Abrahamic covenant has never been fully realized, has it? It's never been fully realized. You think about the land. They've never occupied the land in its fullness. God told them what the fullness is. Yeah, not, not even close. Yeah, the modern state today, is, it's really not close. Um, as far as the seed goes, or the descendants, there is, of course, the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus, and the nation's never been unified to him by faith. They've never had unity with their Messiah King. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So even that aspect hasn't been fully realized. The blessing, because they've never been joined to Christ, their Messiah, they've never been the catalyst for blessing in the world, which is how that gets developed through the Old Testament is that Israel is going to have a prominent place in the kingdom of God and is going to be the catalyst of blessing to the other nations as he reigns from Jerusalem, as Jesus reigns from Jerusalem. That hasn't happened yet. And so we're following these tracks through Scripture and we're saying we're not going to get to the end of the tracks and be like G.K. Beale and say, wow, all those deer prints were left by this trout. That's just not what we're going to do, okay? We're going to say, wow, okay, here we are. We've arrived and we're in, in the church and the church is not what we were expecting following the Old Testament. Paul says the church is a mystery. Okay, this is a new work of God. But that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, there's, there's not a fulfillment of what God clearly promised. And so we're looking forward to that future fulfillment as we trace through all these details and see what all God has promised. Uh, we are expecting God's program to go the way that He has prophesied or given to His prophets. God has given readers of His Word expectancy. Whenever God makes promises, He expects us to expect the fulfillment of those promises. 
so as we, again, we're going to get there here in just a minute, I promise. As we look at the passages that we're going to look at tonight, we, we need to have the expectancy of what God says is going to happen. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sure had expectancy in what God had promised, and we should see what God had told them and join them in that expectancy. God is never going to be guilty of raising false expectations. That's just not what God is in the business of doing. And this is, of course, really important because the whole point of God making covenants is that people would believe in what He has said. The whole purpose of God saying, this is a covenant I'm making to you, or this is a promise, I swear by myself because I can swear by none higher, is that we pay attention to what He says and believe what He says, okay? That's the whole, that's the whole purpose. So as we go through these passages, we'll start in Genesis 26. Let's turn there together. As we go through these passages, starting in Genesis 26, let's look for a few things in each one of them. Um, the same items we're going to be looking for in every passage, and I'll put them on the board here. Starting with the recipients of the promise. We want to look for one, recipients of promise, two, we want to look for the substance of the promise, and then the third thing we want to look for is a timetable, if one is provided. God doesn't always give a timetable, does He? Namely, the promise of Jesus is going to return. <laughs> Sometimes we wish we had the timetable on that, but I think it's best that we don't. So we want to look for these three things, the recipients of the promise, the substance of the promise, and the timetable, if there is one, all right? And let's start in Genesis 26, verse 1. What we're doing here, again, is tracing the Abrahamic covenant as those aspects of descendants, land, and blessing are repeated in the Old Testament to God's people. And let's see what, what he gives us as far as developing these aspects. Genesis 26, 1 to 5. Someone want to read those five verses? Rex, go ahead. Okay. So in verse 3, God says that he made what with Abraham? Oath. Yeah, oath. He made an oath with Abraham. And let's look at the uh, substance, what is repeated here as far as uh, what God promised in that oath. Okay, yeah, I'm going to give you all these lands. That's how he's establishing the oath and, verse 4, multiplying them, okay? And it's clearly through Isaac as the covenant child. Uh, now, Abraham had other children, didn't he? But Isaac is the covenant son, and it's con a continuation of the promise of the land and the descendants. Uh, the, the promises continue, even though Abraham is gone. Isaac... And Isaac's descendants, his physical children, are going to own the land. They will massively grow. These descendants will grow as a nation. And through them, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We actually have um, 
the all the elements repeated here in the uh, in this section. At the end of verse four, you get the blessing. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Okay. Other thoughts or questions on that? Sure. Yeah, they could. They could, except uh, the reality is Abraham's gone, and now these promises are still going to be upheld. So it's not that there's a continual obligation. I mean, if someone wants to say there was some initial obligation on Abraham's part, you know, whatever. Because um, at this point, Abraham's not around, obviously, to keep obeying, and he doesn't put it on Isaac and Isaac's descendants to obey. God says, I'm following through on this. And the timetable is open in a good job, Andy. Yes, that's right. Um, doesn't say it's going to happen tomorrow, and we know it didn't happen tomorrow <laughs> for Isaac, but the oath is being upheld by God, right? Good. Other thoughts, questions, observations? Okay. Go over a page or two maybe to chapter 28, Genesis 28, 13 to 17, in another five-verse section. You have Jacob having a dream here. Genesis 28, 13, uh, we should probably start at 12. 12 to 17, who's got it? Genesis 28, 12 to 17. Thank you. All right. So Jacob is the son of who? Isaac, who's the son of? Abraham, okay. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So now we see the, uh, the line continuing and the promises continuing. How many of the aspects of the Abrahamic covenant are repeated to Jacob and his descendants here? How many out of the three? Very good. All three repeated again. So you have the oath that was sworn to Abraham being repeated, to Isaac, and now to Jacob. And if you look in verse 15, there's also this promise of a return. It's, I will bring you back to this land. Okay. Now again, timetable-wise, we're not getting a whole lot here, but we know that there's going to be some sort of return, and God's going to lead them back. God promises to remain with this people until He fulfills the promise. And that's what he has obligated himself to do in this covenant. Any other thoughts or questions or observations on this section? Good, good. Okay, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 is where we'll go first. Verses 25 to 31. Deuteronomy 4. Starting at 25. Deuteronomy 4, 25 to 31. Who's got that? Okay. Okay, so... We have in those first few verses up through verse 28, we have this prophecy, a prediction of 
apostasy. There's warning there too, but it's, I mean, God's basically saying through Moses, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go off, be scattered, and become idol worshipers, okay? But now what's this promise that develops 29 to 31? How would you sum this up of what's going to happen after that? Because now we're starting to actually get a little bit of timetable and a little more detail about what's going to go on. Okay, so you have a national repentance that's going to happen. Okay. From there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him okay. if you search after Him with all your heart. And what's the timetable of this in verse 30? Yes, there's going to be tribulation in the latter days and then they will, you notice the language here, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. So who are the recipients of the promise here as we're thinking of uh, verse 30 specifically? Okay, which, which generation of Israel? That, that generation that was hearing those words from Moses? No. Yeah, right. Yeah, so the latter days sends us forward, right? I mean, it, they have to be thinking, you know, this is the end, end times. In the latter days, there will be tribulation, and they will return and obey His voice. And they're going to return to where? Where are they going to return to? Italy? Yeah, the, well, the land, yeah, the land that was promised, the land of Canaan that belongs to them. This is their land, but they aren't going to stay in that land because of their sin. They're going to be scattered, and yet they're going to make a return return to God, and they will be returning, of course, to that land. And we get um, more on this in Deuteronomy 30. I'll read Deuteronomy 31 to 5. I think we looked at this one a few weeks ago, but it's the same idea that's communicated here. Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 1, after describing the curses that come from the law and how Israel's going to fail, it says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, so we got the same theme as chapter 4, you and your children, and obey His voice and all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Okay, so it's a lot of the same stuff as we just read in Deuteronomy 4, but it's mentioned specifically there's a return to that land. And remember in uh, 431... It's because God will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers. So when he's talking about covenant stuff, Abraham's in the middle of that discussion. The covenant that God made with Abraham has an impact on the nation of Israel all the way till the last days and the tribulation of the last days. Okay, so the the covenant with Abraham isn't something to 
just relegate to the Old Testament and say, well, we're done with all that. No, we're not. It extends all the way to the last days. Any thoughts, questions, observations on any of that? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, yeah, right. That Now, even though that is quite interesting, yeah, and when that happened in 48, uh, you know, the, the greatest blessing came into the world the month after 1948, in January 49. That's, that's when Rex entered the world. But, <clears throat> but uh, when uh, Israel became you know, recognized as a state, you know, the modern state of Israel, that was, that's very compelling for anybody who says God's done with Israel. You have to deal with that. They're still around, and they have statehood now, which is very interesting. But it isn't the fullness of the land, and at what we're going to see is, and we've already started to see it actually, but we'll see there's going to be more that's going to happen. Uh, one thing that we just read in Deuteronomy that hasn't happened is they're not obeying the voice of the Lord. They're, they're still kicking against the, the goads, so to speak. Uh, but we're also going to see there will be great agricultural blessings. There's going to be um, peace and safety with the neighboring nations. Israel hasn't had that, obviously. So, so the, all that's coming uh, in the future. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And of course, that's not to say they are his people as far as, uh, like, are they saved? Not if they reject Jesus. Are they the church? No. God, God's people is the church, Jew and Gentile, reconciled. And where there is no advantage to being Jew or Greek, where we have full reconciliation in Christ. But being faithful to the promises he made to the fathers, they're still around and there's still stuff uh, in store for them in the future. Okay, let's go to the next one. Joshua 21. Joshua 21. It's the next book after Deuteronomy. Joshua 21.43. We may have looked at this last time too. This is of course, the uh, campaign that Joshua led as they went in and took possession of major portions of the land, but still not all the fullness. I think we did talk about this last time. Uh, Joshua twenty-one forty-three. it says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And you can go to 23 now, Joshua 23, verse 3. It says, and you have seen all that the Lord God, your God, has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Verse 4, behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So you have in 2143 this statement, God gave them all the land. Then you have in 23, God saying, go drive out the nations. I'm going to drive them out before you and go possess the land. So God gave them all the land in the sense that he was with them. He was fighting battles, their battles for them. As long as they were walking in obedience and leading uh, the charge in faith, the land was theirs. But they still had work to do. 
And of course, they failed in that mission. If you cross-reference this over to uh, Judges 2, you'll see that they started worshiping false gods, they never drove everybody out, and it all just went to pot from there. So um, you have this moment in Israel's history that looked really, really promising for quite a while. If, if you remember when we preached through Joshua, we were in that book for quite a while. It's like, there they were, and then slipped right through their hands because they lacked the heart of faith, therefore they lacked obedience, therefore they were judged. Okay. Thoughts or questions on Joshua? Now again, that's the land that was sworn to Abraham. That's why I'm mentioning it here in this study. That's what that land is, is the land of Canaan. First Chronicles. Let's go over to First Chronicles. Past First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First Chronicles 16. First Chronicles chapter 16. We are joining David in a song of thankfulness. And you can, uh, if you're taking notes, you can write down Psalm 105 next to this because First Chronicles 16 and Psalm 105 are essentially the same thing. Okay. You have this song of thanks preserved in two places, which is interesting. There aren't too many texts in the Bible. There are a few, but there aren't many that are preserved in two places like this. But uh, verse 8, you see that David says, 1 Chronicles 16, 8, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. It's a song of thanks. Let's uh, have someone read 15 to 18 now. Verses 15 to 18. Who's got it? Okay. All right. What is the real emphasis here in these four verses that Joseph just read, 15 to 18? As far as aspects of the Abrahamic covenant, what's the emphasis? Okay, I think we just said three different things at once. <laughs> okay, there's the aspect of remembering the covenant, but as far as the substance of the covenant, what does he bring out? The land. The land is quite prominent here, right? And it is an everlasting covenant. So you've got a covenant language used in verse 15, the term is used. Verse 16, the term is used. Verse 17, the term is used. And in 17, you have the adjective everlasting. He says that he didn't just make the covenant to Abraham, but also to Isaac and Jacob, as we've seen here tonight, right? He met with Isaac and he made the same promise. He met with Jacob and made the same promise. And it's an everlasting promise, meaning it expires when? Oh, oh, that's interesting. And uh, the substance of that in verse 18, to you... I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. So, again, we're looking at the clear communication of God. We're seeking to understand what it is. He wanted them to understand that we would uphold the Word of God. And it seems quite clear that He gave Israel the land forever. Any thoughts, questions, observations on that? Yeah. Because the Arabs recognized that. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yep. 
That land was given to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac, not Abraham and Ishmael, right? Yeah. Thoughts or questions? First Chronicles 16, Psalm 105. Okay. Okay, Isaiah. Isaiah is where we'll go. Chapter 14. After Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah 14, 1 and 2. There are actually two passages in Isaiah. Who can get Isaiah 14, 1 and 2? Okay, and then Isaiah 60, 21 and 22. Who's got that? 60, 21 and 22. Thank you, Mandy. So two passages in Isaiah. Let's again listen for recipients of the promise, the substance of the promise, and if there's any kind of timetable. So, Sandra, go ahead. Uh, Isaiah 14, 1 and 2. Wow. That's quite a promise there, isn't it? So what details are getting added? I mean, obviously you have God's going to set them in their own land. We've seen that several times now. But what other details are added here that are interesting to you? Okay. Yeah, they're attaching themselves, it says at the end of verse 1, to the house of Jacob. Just to verify, who's the house of Jacob? Oh, good. Not you? You qualify more as a stranger than the house of Jacob, don't you? Oh, okay. All right, just checking. And then in verse 2, what's going on here? This is curious. Yeah. Okay, that's quite interesting. Those who were their captors become their captives. And those who oppress them, they're going to rule over them. And that's going to happen because what it says at the beginning of verse 1. Yahweh is going to have compassion on them. It's God choosing them. Okay. Uh, God's sovereign grace, you could say, being faithful to the promise that He made. Okay, 60, Mandy, 21 and 22. Okay, so again, you have uh, the land promise with the word forever. They shall possess the land forever. Pretty weighty. Um, and the they there, of course, is in reference to Israel. He's going to cause them to be prominent once more. Promises of future restoration and blessing in the land that was promised initially to Abraham. Well, we are not Israel, are we? So what we're not grafted into um, Israel to make us Israelites, but we are grafted in to share in the promise that was made to Abraham. And the promise we get to enjoy is the blessing. And so actually, we, uh, we still are the nations. Gentiles are still Gentiles. When we join uh, the church, we're unified to Christ by faith. We do so as Gentiles, not becoming Israelites in the process. And so when you think of the uh, millennium, 
that will exist, uh, the reign of Christ, and all the promises of that that we find throughout the Bible, um, we're not going to be there as Jews. We're going to be there as you know, members of the church who are at peace with Israel and receive blessings from the Messiah through the people of Israel who are restored at that time. And so it'll be a pretty amazing time. Um, you think of Isaiah 19. I think I mentioned this in our study too. Isaiah 19, you've got Israel, Egypt, and Assyria all living at peace with one another and enjoying one another. But Egypt is still Egypt, Assyria is still Assyria, Israel is still Israel. And so there's national distinction, not only in the millennium, but it carries through into the new earth also. Yeah. Other thoughts or questions? Isaiah 19. Yeah, Isaiah 19 is an amazing passage. <laughs> uh, do I have time? Sheesh. I just, uh, I want to read this because it's just so impactful. At the end of Isaiah 19... It says that in that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. That's going to be Israel's role, a blessing in the midst of the earth. Whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people. God's going to call Egypt his people. And Assyria, the work of my hands. And Israel, my inheritance. And that's just, if you know how oppressive Egypt has been, of course, to Israel, the fact that one day he's going to call Egypt my people, that, I mean, wow, that's amazing. They, well, yeah, I mean, everything hinges on what they do with Jesus. And as long as Israel's rejecting their own Messiah, none of this is going to unlock or make sense to them. Yep. All right, let's go to Jeremiah 23, one of my favorite passages on this subject. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 8. This, this is one of those passages where it's like, this is so clear. How could anybody not believe what this says? I just really, really struggle with this one. Jeremiah 23. Verses 5 to 8. Who wants to read this marvelous passage? It's a marvelous one. Thank you, Stacy. I just don't understand how you can interpret that in any way other than just what it says. And uh, I don't think it takes a lot of interpretation here. It's quite plain. Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. Um, this return to the land, it says in verse 7, is going to outshine the exodus. No longer are people going to say, as the Lord lives who brought the people out of the land of Egypt, this event's going to be so huge, it's going to be the as the Lord lives who brought Israel back to this land from all the different nations where they were scattered. That's how big this is going to be, this restoration. And it says that last, that last sentence, they will live on their own soil. We're talking 
physical land with physical boundaries that belongs to them, they will be restored in that physical place. I don't see any way of getting around that. <laughs> Not that I'm looking for a way to get around it. I just know that there are obviously Christians out there who read that differently, and I just really, really struggle with that. We get accused of unhitching from the Old Testament. Stuff like that. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And, and it says, you know, the people will no longer say as the Lord lives who has, who has uh, what does it say, delivered Israel from Egypt but as the Lord lives who has caused Israel to return to their land. Who is Israel who was delivered out of Egypt? Well, of course, it's the nation of Israel. It's not the church. So who's Israel in the very next sentence? <laughs> same Israel, right? And so the same Israel is going to be restored in the future. I mean, it's just so obvious. You can also jot down, if you're taking notes, Jeremiah 31 to 33. Those three chapters, really in full, all three chapters get to the same idea, just the prophet elaborates on all of it more in Jeremiah 31 to 33. Really, really important chapters there, okay? Let's go to Ezekiel uh, 36. Ezekiel 36. And look at some verses there. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 24. I'll read 24 and 25, and then I'll drop down to 33. Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 24, God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. <laughs> Getting repetitive. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Okay? Drop down to verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land, or yeah, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Okay. So they will be brought back to the land. There will be a judgment that they'll undergo, which uh, Ezekiel 36 and 37 talks about that. But um, you've got the this time when Israel will be brought back and sprinkled with clean water, that means they'll be saved. Uh, I think the sprinkling of clean water is what Jesus had in mind when he was talking to uh, Nicodemus. Unless one is born of uh, water and uh, how's and a spirit, then he, he can't be born again. And I think that's what Jesus had in view here, was talking, hearkening back to Ezekiel, talking about sprinkling of clean water. Ezekiel talks about it in multiple places. But what you have is 
They're going back to the land, and what's going to happen to the cities in 33 to 36? So the desolate places, and there are a lot of desolate places in the land of Canaan today. If you were to go and take a tour, a lot of desolation still. Just a lot of nothing, wasteland. Well, cities are going to be rebuilt and restored. Uh, Cities that currently are under layers and layers of sediment because of the waste that's happened over the generations. So you can also jot down Ezekiel 20, verses 33 to 38, chapter 20, verses 33 to 38, where you get uh, some of the same ideas, okay? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. That's this time of the Messiah's reign. I mean, that's what uh, Jeremiah 23 was talking about that we were just reading. A righteous branch of David will rise up and rule over the people. Uh, So this is talking about the Messiah's reign. The only time we get the millennium or the thousand years is Revelation 20. Only passage in the whole Bible that says a thousand years. But there are lots and lots and lots of passages in the Bible that talk about the time of Messiah's reign. And so we link it to that timetable. But, uh, but yeah, whenever he begins his reign, he's going to be the perfect king and perfect steward over the earth, and those places will be rebuilt as they dwell securely without threat from their neighboring nations. Yep. Good. Okay, Amos 9 is where we'll go, and I think we'll have to end here tonight. Don't even get to go to the New Testament. I did not do a good job getting through all this too much. Amos 9... The last verses of this book, 8 to 15, Amos 9, 8 to 15, so good. And because I love this passage so much, I'm going to read it. Ezekiel, or uh, Amos 9, everybody found Amos already? Good job. Starting in verse 8, is that what I said? Of course I did. All right. Amos 9.8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. Okay. Verse 9. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Okay, let's pause right there, actually, because I want to cross-reference this with Zechariah. Um, Let's go to Zechariah 13. Flip on over to Zechariah, which is the second to last Old Testament book. Zechariah 13. God of, uh, here in Isaiah, or uh, Amos 9, was talking about judging Israel. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, he says. Well, he actually gives us a proportion in Zechariah 13, verses 7 to 9. Someone want to read these verses? Zechariah 13, 7 to 9? Okay. So, what percentage, roughly, of Israel is going to be cut off? Or, yeah, cut off. Yeah. Cut off and perish. 
And then one, the one third will be left alive and they'll be refined and call upon his name and he's going to answer them. So that's the judgment that Israel's going to go through, uh, which is pretty astounding. It's not just a few of them that are going to be judged. They're all going to go through the fire. Only a third's going to remain. Yes. Yep. Okay, so whenever you see in Amos, if you go back to Amos, when you see there in verse 10, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. I think Zechariah 13 is an appropriate cross-reference there. There's the same talk about a sword. There's talk about sinners being judged, talk about his people being purged. Same thing. Okay, so what's going to happen after that? Well, verse 11, Amos 9, verse 11. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Now listen to these last three verses, really important. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them says the Lord your God. Verse 15 is pretty strong. Okay? So there's a day coming for Israel when all that's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet, but the day's coming. We're following the deer tracks here, and we're following God's program and believing what He has said, not looking to redefine all these words. And what happens when you start denying this future for Israel in their land is you have to redefine Israel, you have to define land, redefine land, you have to redefine uh, fortune or blessing or restoration, you have to redefine cities and what it means that cities are rebuilt. You have to redefine all this. If this is it, then what, I mean, you got to go metaphor to the extreme here, and I'm just not comfortable with that at all, (laughs) okay? Because, I mean, you can just say anything at that point. But, anywho, Final thoughts or questions for this evening? Yes. At that time, in the latter days, that generation, uh, two-thirds are going to be cut off. Yeah. Because of, I mean, you can see now uh, the antagonism toward Jesus that Israel has. And when it comes to that latter time, um, that antagonism is still going to be there. Now, there's going to be a mass turning, uh, but there's going to be a lot of Israel cut off first. There's going to be that time of tribulation. We saw that in Deuteronomy, what was that, chapter 4, where it said, the tribulation of the latter days, you'll be restored to me. That tribulation gets explained in more detail in the New Testament. You see in Revelation 6 through 18, there's a focus on Israel. The church is not mentioned, but Israel is talked about a lot. And that tribulation is detailed there. And uh, there will be a mass turning as many die, many will be saved. Yep. Other thoughts or questions? Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. Um, I'll just have to pick up here next week. I'm going to have half a lesson next week, Tyler. So I'll teach the first half and you'll go second half. How about that? No. No, it'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah, this will... Um, There is plenty of material, that's for sure. But after I finish my notes, whenever this is, um, that we'll, this is finishing our thoughts, or, our, or I guess our focus on the Abrahamic covenant, then the next thing will be the Davidic covenant. And Tyler's going to lead us through that for however many weeks that'll take, where we're going to look at what was originally promised to David in Second Chronicles, yeah, Second Chronicles 7 and Psalm 89, and then tracing that through Scripture too. And then Second Samuel 7, Second Samuel 7. And uh, then we'll look at the New Covenant. So Abrahamic, Davidic, and New Covenant, okay? But uh, I've apparently got one more lesson of this. So how about I pray? And then we'll go our merry way. Father, we thank You so much for the consistency of Your Word. We thank You that You have given us such an amazing testimony through Your prophets about what You plan to do with Israel based on the promises that You made with Abraham. And Lord, we ask that you would give us a heart to understand and believe and to follow you as you lead us in the Bible. God, help us to uh, just connect dots in Scripture, to see the big picture, and to have a, a greater confidence about your program and where all this is heading, that, that we would just understand more and more about what you are up to in the world, about what you're going to do in the future. God, help us to live for you the rest of tonight and as we go into tomorrow, the rest of this week, and Lord, with the rest of our lives, that we'd be given over to you more and more each day, uh, submitting ourselves to your Lordship. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.